Okay, so great day to everybody. Um, as you've heard, uh, the pastor and his wife are traveling and uh, they're uh, enjoying being uh, grandparents once more. Um, and so they're off uh, to celebrate that in person. And I say that in person because that's a nice segue into some of the things we'll talk about today. Uh, so let me ask you a bunch of questions. You know, why do we travel to see a newborn child? You know, we could call on the phone and say, congratulations, offer best wishes. Uh, we can look at pictures. And nowadays, we could even watch a video, even live. Uh, or we can mix it up and do a Skype call. And then we get video and the call all in one shot. But we still go in person. You know, and, and that makes me wonder, well, why do we come to church on Sunday? You know, we could uh, watch service on TV, right? It's on a few channels. Uh, after, you know, a couple of weeks, these, these, uh, the, the Sunday service is on an MP3 file. You know, you can listen to the podcast uh, whenever you want. You can just type in Calvary Chapel, I'm sorry, calvarygreenmeadow.com and call up the podcast. And we don't even have to leave the house. But we still come here in person. And then once we've taken Jesus in our heart, we feel that salvation, we know we're saved, we keep reading the Bible anyway. We still pray. Didn't we complete the journey? And we're already there. Why do we keep doing that? So why do we go the great distance to visit somebody? You know, the pastor and, and Paula uh, have taken a hard trip. Beersheba is a, a tough place. Uh, in, you know, there's rockets, there's uh, border controls, there's terrorists, there's all kinds of things. But they went, despite all that, they went so they could be there in person. So why do we send a Christmas card? Why do we do a thank you? Why do we give a congratulations? And all this adds up to one big thing. Because we want a relationship. We want to reach out to people. We, we want to have a strong bond. And that's why the Skype call doesn't cut it. And that's why watching a Sunday service on television isn't the real deal. So all those things I've listed, the well wishes, the cause, the Bible, the personal visits, that gives us a strong relationship with the people that we want to reach out to. So doesn't God want a relationship with us? And you don't have to turn around, because I've got some Bible verses that are just short, and a lot of them are really well known. No, I'll read them out loud. Acts 17.27 tells us that God wants to know us. So God did this so, he, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. So if you think about that, God's not far from us. Would you stay close by to somebody that you didn't want to be close to? Would you hang around? But God does. Even for the people that don't really want to know him, he hangs around. He stays ready. He's close. So even if God's a stranger to us, whether that's now or before or for other people, 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's pretty heavy duty. Because if you think about that, Jesus is the relationship with God. No matter what we do or how we try, Jesus is the one that makes the relationship work. We all know, right? We're separated in the Garden of Eden. We're separated by sin. We all know that's, that's not new news for us. But Jesus brings us back to the Father. He, he calls us back. It's just like the song, bring us back. Jesus gives us that link. You know, he says, follow me. I will lead you to the Father. You know, we all have Facebook and LinkedIn, right? We've got friends. We've got friends of friends. And we have uh, people who refer friends to us. Well, Jesus has a friend that he'd like to show us. He'd like to lead us to. If Jesus had a Facebook page, he'd say, I have a suggestion for you. Let God be your friend. Now, what I'm leading up to is relationships require maintenance. you got to work at it. So what happens when you're not working at it? You're not close to somebody for a long time. It starts to fade away, right? You're not, you're not touching them. You know, you're not close. You're not talking. You're not seeing them. You're not feeling their pain. Now, there's always the relationship that's natural, you know, parent and a child, brother and sister. You know, those relationships stay around for a long time. Even if you don't see them all the time, you still have that bond. But if, if you've had this experience, you, know, you might have a sister or brother you haven't seen in a very long time. What happens after you see them, you haven't seen them for a year or, or two years? It's a little clunky. You know, it's not... Not like when you were kids, you know, and sharing the, 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 the playpen, you know. You weren't sharing the sandbox. So it's not, it's not the same. You don't have that same close feeling. And then there's relationships that fade a lot more quickly. You know, you have a classmate maybe or a coworker. You ever bump into one of those after 10 years? You hardly know them. They don't even look the same. They don't act the same. You don't really remember the stuff you guys used to talk about. How you doing? How's the kids? Where you working? You know, they, they don't, you don't have that instant 
hey, I want to tell you something important in my life. You just want to go through the pleasantries, you know. It's not even close to what you used to have. So it tells you relationships are a lot of work, and you've got to maintain them. Well, God's no different. A relationship with God takes a lot of work, too. We've got to work hard at it. And if we're going to stay near to him, we have to know it's not automatic. We don't just wake up and God's close by. We don't automatically do and say the right things. You know, God's always near to us, but we aren't always near to him. We have to stop and say, hey, God, I want to be close to you. It's worth it to me. I'm willing to, to do the heavy lifting to make this work. You know, Jesus says in Matthew, right, 7, 21 and, and 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And if they don't, Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. What does that mean? What do they mean? God says, Jesus says, I never knew you? Really? I mean, the all-knowing God doesn't know us? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The all-knowing God knows us very well. Jesus clarifies that in Luke 12, 7. He says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So God knows full well who we are. He knows what's inside our head, too. So when Jesus says, I did not know you, what he really meant was we weren't close. I didn't know the relationship. I didn't know that you wanted me in your life. You walked in name only. It wasn't real. You know, is it all about me or the we? You know, we, we, if we walk alone, then that's what we do. So the idea here is that, again, if Jesus is to know us, we have to know him. We have to know God, and that... Again, takes the effort that we can't do that with watching the TV or listening to a podcast. You've got to feel it and breathe it. So there's a lot of work ahead, right? And it's constant. It's not a job for the lazy. If you ever notice, people who are lazy, they don't leave the house. They don't interact. They don't do things. They don't have a lot of friends. They don't know people. They don't have a relationship. If you don't work at it, you don't, nothing comes out of it. There's the heavy lifting. And even, even if you're doing it, it doesn't end. It doesn't go stop. You can't quit. Because when you stop, the relationship fades away, right? That's what happens with your old classmate. That relationship faded away because you didn't maintain it. 
the co-worker. Uh, you can barely keep in mind what their last name was. It was Joe something. All right? That's what happens when you don't work at it. You don't have the relationship. Now, I'm not saying it's all, you know, pain, hard, unpleasant. You know, I use words like heavy lifting. You know, if you do it right, and I'm going to go into that more, but if you do it right, it's very rewarding. It's, it's pleasant. It's fun. It's all about what you get out of it. It's the payback, the return you get. Of course, going to a family cookout's fun, right? A reunion, that's fun. You see people. You know, it's not, it doesn't feel like heavy lifting, right? The pastor and his wife visiting, having a new grandchild, that didn't feel painful. Now, they have put the effort into the travel. You know, there's a, there's a price to that. But they want to be there. They do it willingly. And then coming to church, that doesn't have to be, ugh, is it that time again? Do I really got to go? Uh, I'll just listen to it later online. But you know what? For a lot of people, church is the high point of the week. They get a lot out of it. It pays back to them. It's uplifting. For me, it's a time to unwind. I kind of get to brush off all that stuff that the week dumps on me. And I get to relax and think about this is, this is the real deal here. This is wh where I need to be. I can clear my head. I don't have all the distractions. It's one of the few times in the week. It's probably the only time in the week I get to have no distractions. Everything's off, including my brain. I just, I'm not thinking about tomorrow and the problems on Tuesday. I'm just thinking about this. So it's fulfilling. It doesn't have to be painful. It's something you look forward to. So if relationships are so much work, why do we bother? I gave you some examples. We can get things out of it. We can feel good, okay? Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. This is leading up to something much bigger. The relationship is how you get there. And the there is a commitment when your relationship is really strong, you're committed. And the way I like to think of it is you're committed. And I, I say that funny because it, you, you get too much, you're hand in hand. Okay? That you are committed to what it is that you want to be close to. And in this case, God. So... Why do we get excited because we're committed? What, what's, what's so exciting about that? And what makes it special, like I said, is all these things that come along with it. And I've got like five major things that you get when, you're, when your commitment is high and you're bonded and you're close. There's five major things that happen. The number one is trust. Commitment builds trust. And if you don't believe that, you ever notice how much you fear the unknown? You ever notice that you walk a little faster down a dark street? 
and you walk really fast down a dark alley, that's because you don't have any trust in the surroundings. You don't have any trust in the people who might pass you by. You are afraid. You might even start looking over your shoulder or hearing a funny noise. It makes you walk even faster. But do you do that when you're home? You're in a dark room. You wake up in the morning. It might be dark. You go to sleep. It's dark. Do you walk quickly through your living room because it's dark? Or briskly down the hallway because it's scary? No, because you have trust that your home is safe. You're feeling good. You know that nobody's going to jump around the corner at you. Now, we fear strangers. We'll even be so afraid that we'll hesitate if a stranger offers us something, even if it's something we might want, because they're a stranger. Who knows what's lurking behind their hand? I'll guarantee you that if I went somewhere right now, a grocery store or wherever, and had $1 bills I wanted to hand out, there are people who would walk by and say, uh, no, thank you. Uh, I don't want that. No. Nope. Because why? There's some, some ulterior motive. They're afraid that something else comes with the dollar. Maybe it's got ink on it or something messy or poison or there's something wrong. I'll guarantee you, a whole bunch of people say, I don't want that. No, thank you. But it's a dollar. They'll still pass it by. Now, if it was $20, well, their fear goes away a little bit, okay? <laughs> so the more attractive it is, the more they're willing to overcome that fear. So that's because of that suspicion and that, you know, you hold back. I, I have to wonder, how can you trust God if you don't know him? Could you really put your life in God's hands if you don't really know what's coming? You don't really know what his plan is? And that's why we come to church. That's why we read the Bible. You can't put your faith and trust into something you don't know. You just can't do it. And that's why I think non-believers, and even to the extreme, an atheist, that's why they rant and rave and say that cross has to come down and that prayer banner is no good. They're afraid because they don't know what it means. They don't know what's behind it. They're suspicious. And what do they do? They hide behind the Constitution, right? Oh, that's a violation of the you know, separation of church and state. Is it really? You know, or are they just being afraid of the unknown? You gotta remember, our forefathers put the separation of church and state so that government wouldn't run our beliefs and our beliefs wouldn't run the government. Because bad things happen when when that is in place. Religion runs Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Bad things come out of it. You get rattled. Radicalism. You, you, our forefathers were smart enough to know that when you mix the two, extreme things happen. And likewise, 
you can have belief and religion running the government. I'm sorry, the government running it. Um, and you saw that a long time ago when, like a Joan of Arc, for example, you had, you know, Europe was, had a deep belief that they should control the religion. And that's why they sent out the Crusades. And that's why there was heresy and people were burned at the stake because the government was running their belief and told them how to believe. And in some countries today, that still happens. Uh, there's still the caste system, right? So if you're an untouchable, the government says, don't, we don't give any benefits to those untouchables. Why? Because they're, they're low in the Hindu system. So the government, again, is controlling where things go because, based on them being a Hindu. So what happens is, again, the, the Constitution's there to protect our beliefs and to protect uh, the government from overpowering them. And then we get the radicals that say, what oh, that prayer banner? Again, they're hiding behind the, the Constitution. So it all boils down to Fear of the unknown. Again, there's no, there's no trust. You probably heard the story about when all the people came to the house, a gentleman was home actually waiting for Jesus to come, and, and these people came, and it was all different people. Every walk of life, from old women to a beggar to everybody, and the person turned them all away, sent them all away. I'm busy. I've got important people coming. I can't deal with you. I've got, you know, Jesus is coming. This is big time. And then Jesus never came. And when the person asked Jesus, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you come when you said you were coming? And Jesus says, it was I that you wouldn't let in. It was Jesus that you turned away. Why? Fear and distraction and all these other things. So the bigger moral of the story here is if you don't know Jesus, you can't embrace him. You can't accept God if you don't know. You'll turn them away. There's a book called Dinner with a Perfect Stranger. You might have read it. You may have heard of it. Um, I actually had a client tell me, hey, why don't you read this? So, so I did. There's a character in there named Nick. Not our Nick who's always running around doing things here. This Nick was a spiritually doubting person. It, not a non, totally, you know, saying I'm atheist. He just said, I have doubts. The questions are too big. I can't give blind faith. But he gets an invitation to have dinner with Jesus. And in that dinner, in the discussion, Nick says, you know, he tells you, I feel unfilled. I have spiritual doubts. In fact, I'm, I'm mad at God. I get angry with God because bad things happen and, and I just don't understand. And you know what? That happened, you know, the mo most of the times that we have this problem is because we just don't understand God's plan. Just, just not getting it. And then by the end of the dinner, he realizes what I've been telling you. If you don't trust 
something, someone, God. You can't know them. So that leads us up to big benefit number two. When we have a strong bond, we get accountable. Commitment makes us want to be trustworthy. It makes us want to say, hey, I am responsible for my own actions. And that's what brings feeling of embarrassment. When you're committed and the accountability is very high, you don't like that feeling of failure. You don't like saying, I came up short. I didn't make the bar. I failed. The truth is we all fail all the time. We fail our close friends. And you know what? The closer they are, the more we take them for granted. Those are the ones that, you know, we say, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be okay. They don't need me. They get somebody else to do it. We fail our families, right? We say, oh, they'll understand, you know. Or the best one, they'll get over it. It'll be all right next week. They won't even remember. And then what do we do? We, we had a big crutch, right? We fail God, and we say, oh, he'll forgive us. He, he you know, says in the Bible, he'll forgive our sins. But that gets really to a big point, which I'm going, to, I'm going to get into in a minute. But the accountability part gives us something. It gives us the ability to get up and get going again. We can recover, okay? We can say, okay, I slipped, I messed up, but I'm going to... Start again. I'm going to do it right this time. We try to change our ways. We work towards some improvement. We want to make things right. And what happens if we're not committed and we don't have that? What do we do? We, we give up. We stop trying. We just say, uh, too hard. You know, not a big deal. And then what we do is we fall, and we just let ourselves kind of slip away. We backslide. We're just, you know, we're just, uh, we're just not the same. We're not where we should be. So that accountability, again, gives us the ability to pull up our bootstraps and say, we're going to get this going. Now, the third biggest benefit, again, of our commitment and being committed is we have respect for the people we're close to. And this is important because if you don't respect something, you, you can't act correctly. Because respect gives us guilt. And if you don't think that's true... How guilty do you feel when you say no to a stranger? You don't know the person. You ever drive by a hitchhiker? 
Do you stay up at night worrying about that? Does that break your heart? Why? You just said no to that person. But it doesn't bother you. Why? Because they're a stranger. But if somebody you really cared about was on the side of the road, you'd be swerving all over the place so you can get over there. Pull over and pick them up. Help them out. That's the difference because you respect that person. And respect is how we fight temptation. No respect, we're easily overpowered. And this is the important thing I was saying a, a few minutes ago. We don't like the feeling of doing something we know is wrong. Right? When we know it's wrong, you feel guilty. It bothers you. If the respect's where it should be, you can't do it. You can't do it. You stop and say, I'm too nerved up. It's, it's overwhelming. That's what keeps us faithful. That's the bond, the cement. And I, I like to say this one all the time. A strong relationship is the best shield against temptation. When, you're, when your relationship is rock solid, it is a shield, and it will keep you from being tempted. You can, you can hold it up, and that feeling you get will protect you. You can't be lured away. That is the power of respect. So think about it. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a friend or a job or a spouse or sin, God. We can't wander when, when we have that bond. We just can't bring ourselves to do it. Just, it's, too, it's too tense. Even if we're really, really unhappy, even if we're really having a bad day and we're at the bottom, if we're committed and we have respect, we can't do it. It'll hold us back. If you think about that, think about your job. What happens if you lose respect for your boss or your customers or coworkers? You start thinking, you know, I need a new job. It doesn't hold, hold you back anymore. You're still going to work somewhere. It's still not, you know, something that you might be excited about every day. It's still work. But you know you got to do it somewhere else because the respect's not there anymore. Or you might even say, I need a transfer to a different branch, a different place. I want, to, I want out of here. Now, we all slip. We all mess up. And I'm not saying we fall. We, we slip. We stutter step. We, we trip. And we do, sometimes we do the wrong thing, and it's kind of by accident. We just lose it. You know, we, we lost our patience, so we did something we weren't thinking, and then we stop and say, oh, I, can't, I cannot believe I did that. What a mess. I screwed up. But here's the heavy part. The people who don't have respect can sin knowingly. 
they know it's wrong, they know it's sinful, they know it's damaging, and they do it anyway. And to me, this is the worst sin there is, is that kind where you say, okay, I know this is wrong, I, I know this is a bad thing, but I can't help myself, I'm doing it anyway. I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. God will forgive me later. But you know what's really harmful about that and why it's the worst sin? It's because it shows there's a problem with that person's faith. There's a hole somewhere. That's, there's, no, there's not really a bond. They feel, they feel like there's one, but there's something wrong. There's a void. There's a gap. And if there wasn't that gap, they couldn't do it. Think about this one. You know, here's Jesus, right, in the desert. 40 days of fasting. The devil comes, right? And he says, turn these stones into loaves. Feed yourself. And then Jesus answers, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what's Jesus saying there? He says, you know, I got more to grab onto than one thing. I got a lot to hold on to. I respect the Father. I respect his word. I respect his wishes. I'm going to hold on to that instead of being overcome by your temptation. And James tells us, James 1.13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That's our own doing. That, that temptation, because we're allowing ourselves to be pulled away. We don't have the bond. We're not committed. The respect's gone. We turn our back on God. And we say... I'm pulled away. And James tells us, once that desire is conceived, that seed is planted, and you've decided you can turn your back, it gives birth to sin. That's what it leads to. It comes down to sin. And when a sin's fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what's it do? You're dying inside. Okay, You're separated from God. You've turned your back. And your own temptation has pulled you away. God's not tempting. He's not putting. It's what, you know, the people who don't understand, they say it all the time. Well, God made me do that. He put that in front of me. God created that. And, you know, the, you know he must have wanted me to do it. No, it tells you right here. James is all over it. You're tempted by your own doing. Your own desires tempt you. God's not tempting you at all. And if you were in the right place, you could brush that off instead of brushing God off. So it goes back to what I was saying. No respect, you're easily overpowered. Sin can overtake you. That's why we come here. That's why we work at it. That's why we read the Bible. Because we need that shield. The strong relationship shields us. So how do we know when we're doing the wrong thing? We need standards. 
right? We need a way to measure something. So a standard is the measuring device, right? It's a biblical standard. And we know we're in the right place because we have a gauge to go by. Think about this. How would you know you're lost if you don't know where you are and you don't know where you should be? You're just in a place. You don't know if it's good, bad, or, or indifferent. You're just somewhere. You need to know where you should be. Then you can figure out where you are. And then you can figure out how to get from where you are to where you should be. If, you, if you're blind, you're spinning in circles, right? It's like the little powerboat lost out at sea. They don't know if land's left or right. All they know is they're in a place. They might be close to shore. They might be far from shore. They don't know. So that's why you need the standard. That's why you need a measure. You need a way to know. Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has dis distributed to each of you. Well, think about that. You can't have sober judgment if you don't have a standard. If you don't know what's right and wrong, you can't make a judgment. That's why, and the way I always believe it, when God says, judge not, lest you'll be judged, God tells us, don't judge because we don't know enough. We have imperfect input. The information we have is, is not complete. How can we judge if we don't know? We don't have all the facts. We only have what we think we see or we think we know. God can judge with perfect knowledge. And judge not lest you be judged. God's telling us, would you want, this is God talking, would you want me to judge you not knowing the, the full story? Would you want me to judge you with falsehoods or hearsay? No, you want me to judge you with perfect knowledge. So that's why we need the standard. And the overall standard is faith. That's the big picture part. If we have a standard of faith, all those details fill in. All the parts that, that come with it fill in. The rest of the Bible, that's the instruction book. That all fills in once we have the big picture of faith. But it takes a lot of time to learn how to do that. Every situation is different. The uncommitted person, they don't give it enough time. They always look for the quick answer. That's why you see people. They come, they come to church once, I didn't feel it, and they never come back. They want that quick feedback. And when you're not committed and you're looking for a quick answer, you just move away. I'm done. I didn't feel it. I'm all, it's over. It takes a long time to learn how to say no to ourselves and yes to God because it's it's something we have to learn. We need the standards. We've got to know. We've got to have all these other things I'm talking about. First, we've got to have the trust and the respect. If we don't have those things, we're not going to be able to say yes to God. We're going to think we know it all. We already got that answer. So it takes practice. 
right? And you know the, the old saying, right? To be really good at anything, what's it take? Practice, practice, practice. You got to give it the time. You got to be there. Football players don't come out and work just on Sunday, right? You don't realize how much they work. You can't come here just on Sunday and think, oh, that's it. I don't need that other stuff. Practice, practice, practice. If you say, well, I know the Ten Commandments. I'm good. You're not going to even understand them. You're not going to know the big picture. You need to apply it to your life. You need that application. We have to live our faith. We can't just read about it. We can't just shake our head, yes, we have it. We have to live it. If we're not living it, that's when we get into the thing where we say, oh, I'm going to sin anyway. That's not living your faith. Say, well, God will be okay with that. Just give him a little time. You sin anyway. That doesn't work. And then the number five big thing is it leads to a willingness. When you're truly committed, and this is a, this is a big eye-opener, okay? When you are committed to something, you're going to stop looking at it as a chore, and you're going to see it as an opportunity. You're not going to say, oh, i got to do that again. You're going to say, great, i got another chance to get in the right place. And again, this applies to God, relationships with your family or your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or brothers and sisters, friends, friends. All that, again, when you, when you are committed to the point where you have a willingness, you say, I've got an opportunity to do it right. You don't look at it as, oh, I got to do that again. Now, you remember when you're close to something, whether it be a person or God or, or, or even a job, that closeness will lead others to ask you to do things. Just like the Bible asks us to do things. You're going to be asked to help. You might even be asked to help yourself, but you will be asked. And that standing up and doing that work, that's the chance to do it the right way. And you're happy about that because it makes you feel good. You get that willingness. You do it with a, a, an open heart. Lord, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Your heart's in the right place. And you know what? You know the old 80-20 rule? You've all heard that, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That applies to all kinds of things. That shows you the willing heart. Not everybody. One out of five. And I don't think usually that 20% is too far off. I will tell you, though, here, I truly believe we've got something special, and I, you've heard this before. Other people have said it. This church, a lot more than 20% step up. A lot of people here do a lot of things. And that tells me that's, that's something special. That's, that breaks that 80-20 rule. So then Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what does that tell you? Jesus says, if you're willing to follow me, I will make you more than you are. But remember, the key word is willing. This is the number five, willingness. 
You can't follow somebody if you're not willing. Right? Otherwise, a leader would go charging ahead, and where'd they go? They all, they all dropped off. They weren't willing. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to push you into being fishers of men. He didn't say, I'm going to pull you along. Okay? He said, follow me. Do it willingly. Do it with an open heart. And I will show you how to be something more. So now in summary, now you know why we're willing to work at some things and not others. It's not always just about the fun stuff. Some things we do willingly and some things we just can't stand. Think about that. Why do we change a baby's diaper? Uh, why? Because we feel for that baby. We have closeness. We're, we're connected. Why do we travel a long distance to visit somebody? Why do we leave the house to be places where we should be? Because in the long run, it pays off. It gives us back something. It gives us those five things I said. So what I'm going to encourage you is reach out. Reach out to God. Reach out to your family. I mean, you've got helpers. You've got the church that helps. You've got a Bible that helps you. You've got prayer that supports you. Your family will support you. The people that love you will support you. So if you stay close, you get things. You, you, there's a, there's a, 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 a good reason to be there. And even if you don't feel like it, now you know why it doesn't always feel easy. But I will tell you, it's always worth it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us this place and giving us the great people around us and teaching us that your faith holds us close and creates the bond and that Jesus is our relationship with you. Jesus is our friend finder. Jesus helps us be the person that we should be. We thank you for sharing Jesus with us. We thank you for giving us your word to guide us and teach us all the things that we don't know. And we thank you for helping us to be close and understand better and to know your plan and to have faith and follow you willingly. Amen.